Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome back to the Gospel for Life. Once again, we're in the studio without Josh Bales, the pastor of The Well, but I do have Phil Moran, uh, pastor of Christ Presbyterian, and Jonathan Van Hoogen of Dayspring United Reformed Church with me in the studio. Men, how are you doing this morning? It's a good day. It's a beautiful day out there. Yeah, we're, very very nice. And I, I just I saw a weather report yesterday said we're going to get the smoke again. So let's enjoy the clean air today while yeah, we've got it. It's a it's a good fall crisp day. We 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 passed into fall now. Yep. Once again, we're working through a whole series of questions. Um, just questions that people have. Um, this one, I am very very confident, was probably not on any of the short list of any of our listeners, but we do good radio. And so we answer questions that you didn't even know that you should have been asking and wanting to ask. So today we're tackling a historical question. And I think what you'll find, hopefully, is that it's a historical question that, though you might not have heard of this person beforehand, um, still is influential in the church today. And the question is, who was Charles Finney, and why does it matter? Charles Grandison Finney, uh, probably one of the most influential figures in the history of the American church. Uh, he was active in the early to mid-19th century. Um, he was an evangelist. He was a lay evangelist. Uh, he was a he was a Presbyterian, but he was a Presbyterian layman. I think I I, I actually think he was an attorney. Yeah, I think by, he was a lawyer by, by training. Um, and he became uh, one of the most uh, well known and famous evangelists of what is sometimes called the Second Great Awakening, a uh, huge revival movement of uh, the early uh, early nineteenth century. Uh, 1800s, in other words, uh, in this country. Yeah, he was, and and as a uh, revivalist, he was a moralistic uh, preacher. He, you know, the the, and that makes him popular. Um, but Christianity isn't moralism; it's Christ. Um, you know, it's it's Christ who's um, died to to save us. He. He, he believed that people um, could be perfected, that they could be perfect, which is really not what this uh, – perfection for us is uh, when Christ comes and takes us to glory. That's perfection. In this, in this life, we still struggle with you know, sin, and uh, we grow in, in uh, the knowledge of Christ and say – Sanctification. So there were certain things that he led people down uh, one side. So you know, by by believing in perfectionism and toward of toward salvation, there was a, a, a 
uh, gaining and losing salvation over and over and over again. That was part of that revivalism. Right, right. He also, um, and first of all, first of all, I, I, you're going to pick up very quickly that the three guys here in this, the three pastors here in the studio, are not going to be big fans of of Charles Finney. Which is interesting because he is a Presbyterian, which is of the of the direction that we all yes. share as yes. far as our theological bent. Absolutely, and and I don't want to say that you know that God didn't use him or that that God uh, you know that many many people were obviously sincerely converted to Christ in his uh, revival meetings, but um, Finney. And and here's where and, and and Jonathan a moment ago pointed out some some errors uh, some unbiblical uh, things in his in his teaching, but I, I think the the biggest problem with Finney and you can see his influence in American Christianity right down to this day. The biggest problem with Finney is he thought that evangelism is a matter of technique. Mm-hmm. And that if you just you, he had a he had a very specific, refined technique to get people to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and and he believed that that was entirely a matter of technique. Uh, that uh, if you if you just applied the right method. And, and worked people the right way and with the right steps and the right words, you would get conversions. Well, and this is what we see in a lot of uh, even modern-day church growth materials. If you just do this, if you build it, they'll come. If yes. you did this, they'll be saved. Uh, he, you know, I mentioned that he believed uh, that God demanded absolute perfection. Of course, there is, and uh, there is the you know, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy, and be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But instead of uh, that thought leading him to seek his righteousness in Christ, his perfection in Christ, he he thought that a full and present um, obedience is a condition for being justified, being declared righteous before God, and so. Um, you know, he he couldn't understand how a person could be justified while sin remains in in them. Uh, how could that person be pardoned and accepted? And and so he um, he denied one of the Reformation formal formula, formulations of uh, you know that were simultaneously justified and sinful. He said that that's an error that has slain more souls. You know, and he so. Um, he says, whenever a Christian sins, he comes under condemnation, must repent and do his first works, which is the, you know, being saved all over again, <laughs> repentance unto salvation or be lost forever. Right. And I think, quite honestly, Finney caused so much problem because he um, parted from what has traditionally been a foundational hub of Reformed theology. He forsook. Uh, the idea of total depravity. Yes, mm-hmm. and so if you if you really begin to drift from that premise that men are and women, all humanity is is entirely sinful from birth, unable to save themselves outside of a miraculous working of the triune God on behalf of of them, then you are going to buy into the idea of technique as phil was saying right the methodology does become king because you don't need god 
because you're not totally lost. Right. And so therefore, you you have the ability as a human being to do something about it. And if you're not totally depraved, well, then you can go the direction that Jonathan was talking about. You can perfect yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think because he lost that peace, he drifted in so many unhelpful areas. Right. Um, and I, quite honestly, you see both of these things still today in the church, and I don't believe either one is still helpful. Yeah. Um, and Jonathan, a minute ago, mentioned, uh, and, and you see this in uh, what was often called their so-called seeker-friendly movement. This is, I'm talking 25 years ago now, 20 years ago. Um, the idea that there's a certain method or technique uh, that will reach people and make Christians. Um, and we need to absolutely hold fast. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean we sit, we don't preach the gospel and we just wait for God to make Christians. No, of course we preach the gospel. And of course we want to make it intelligible to people. And of course we want to be uh, winsome and uh, engaging uh, when we share the gospel and, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with contemporary styles of music. And, uh, but, uh, nobody, nobody ever, uh, got manipulated, uh, techniqued into genuine conversion to Christ. That's something, that's something that God does. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Although I, I want to, I want to change direction here and, and give, give Finney credit for one thing. Uh, that he was absolutely right about, and that is he was a staunch abolitionist. And remember, his work was in the early early 19th century, and he was an absolute staunch abolitionist. And he preached in his, uh, in his meetings, in his revival meetings, that if you are a slaveholder, that if you intend to come forward and, and confess Christ and become a Christian, part of your repentance will be freeing your slaves that you cannot be a slaveholder and be an, uh, be an obedient Christian. And, and so uh, his preaching was instrumental in the, in the abolitionist movement that, that eventually, and there was much abolitionist ferment in the Second Great Awakening, and in, in, in many ways the, the, the ultimate abolition of slavery was an outgrowth of the Second Great Awakening. And maybe it would be helpful for our listeners to know who else was involved in the Second Great Awakening. What other men were at that time period? Fill us in. <laughs> I thought Phil was going to take this one. Okay, we're not going to talk about the yeah. second great awakening. Well, you know, um, what, but there, but there is something that was taking place. You know, it, with the with the with Finney and other revivalists out there, it left what was uh, known as the burned out district. People were people were just burned over by this, uh, you know, constant uh, need for re- uh, of of being saved again, and it ga- actually gave rise to some of the cult that we have around us. I mean, out of Palmyra, New York, came um, uh, Joseph Smith, who decided that none of these things were right, and uh, he yes. had to he had to develop his own religion. Yep. And the fact of the matter is. Um, a finny technique will get people in a church. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I, I'm not sure Finney and his belief system can keep someone secure till the end. 
Um, and uh, this is where you end up with people discontent in churches, unsatisfied um, in their quote-unquote Christian faith, um, because at the end of the day, if you start your faith, I mean, later Princeton um, theologians, B.B. Warfield, namely one of them, challenged Finney and basically said you could, in essence, take God out of his entire Christian faith, and it wouldn't change it. It would still work. It yeah. would still work. Right. Well, if you take God out, you've taken out the heart of of Christianity, and what you'll find is that it, it is shallow, it's unfulfilling, and it, it cannot sustain um, a person because we were created to worship God. And if we're not ultimately worshiping the God that is, we're create we're worshiping a God of our own imagination, and a God of our own imagination is not enough um, for life. Mm-hmm. We get we get um, some of the you know flavor of Phineism when we hear people say that um, uh, theology gets in the way of the growth of the church, and that it doesn't matter what. We believe uh, growth is a matter of following proper principles, and dis- and in this way, they display a debt to Finney. Yeah, well, in fact, Finney himself was, and and probably because most of his critics at the time were theologians, <laughs> but mm-hmm. he had a he himself had an impatience with theology and with theological training, and actually thought he thought that theological training was a detriment. Mm-hmm. Uh, to pastors, mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, uh, that he didn't have it, and and he obviously in his own mind didn't need it. Um, so, well, somebody somebody gave an overview of Finney by saying that uh, in Finney's theology, God is not sovereign, man is not a sinner by nature, the atonement is not a true payment for sin. Justification by imputation is insulting to reason and morality. The new birth is simply the effect of successful technique, and revival is a natural result of clever campaigns. You know, so this is, this is Finney in a nutshell. Yes. Well, you've been listening to The Gospel for Life, and we'll see you tomorrow. 